Hello and welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. On today's episode, we discuss the drama in the garden with Kyrie Irving. The Utah Jazz need to blow it up. It is done and over over there. And the Warriors are all the way back. Also, we've got a lot of free agent news coming out in the NFL. All these high-priced wide receivers have gotten guys like DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Terry McLaurin, and Debo Samuel saying, I want that money. So what kind of precedent are they setting right here in the NFL? And then last and certainly not least, A, is Mike Trout done? And B, is Bryce Harper's legacy going to take over Trout's? We'll find out. What is up, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest, out in Las Vegas, the home of the match, June 1st. I think it was June 1st. Uh, Matt Morris. What's up, buddy? How are you, my man? What is cracking? Yeah, man, we are um, watching the news when I woke up this morning, and I guess uh, pre-draft setup has started today. Let's go. They kind of gave like a overview of what the strip's going to look like next week. Uh, draft kicks off, of course, first round next Thursday, if I am correct. Right. Yep. Uh, they are, you know, building the stage currently on the Bellagio Fountain. So They're going to block sick. off. I think it's at a block north and south so that basically they're going to have an entire like festival ground right for the draft and it's free for las vegas residents or just anyone that wants to show up to vegas but they're doing like add-on ticket bonuses so if you want to come in and do a viewing show within bellagio or if you want to go in valleys right right, you can like have your room set up where you have like bottle service or food opportunity for presentation like all of the fun vegas stuff um, but I think it's gonna be pretty dope. You can also buy tickets to be like front row of the fountains to see the draft. That's so and sick. It's sick. Um, we kind of talked about this off air. I'm kind of hoping what they do also is post up big time video screens and you know, like a professional sound system, not only for the, the announcements of the players, but to telecast ESPN's broadcast because that's one of the biggest things I look forward to. And going to the draft, you know, you want to be able to still be in the action of like, oh, what's the breakdown of this player? Like, how's right, this fit? Like, right. oh, there's a trade that just went down. Like, if you're just listening to the players getting announced, you're not hearing all that background data. So it'll be interesting. I will be at work. I do have friends that are going, which is exciting. So I've told them to fill me in on how the, everything shakes down. Yeah, that's true. And maybe even like what would be cool for you is on Saturday I don't know if it ends Saturday or Sunday, but in those later rounds, stopping by for some of the later rounds and maybe, you know, just going and checking it out and running into some of these dudes from NFL Network or ESPN, because I agree with you. The fun part and the reason we do the draft series here on the podcast is it's fun to get to know some of these guys that you're not going to necessarily be hearing about on TV, right? Like this year, we mix it up a little bit on our draft previews and our our, uh, draft series this year by doing more of like the first, maybe second round guys, unlike last year where we really did a deep dive. But I'm excited. We're going to go through our mock draft next Tuesday episode, barring any BS uh, tech issues like we've had today, kind of running it back for the second time here. Um, But I'm stoked for Vegas. I'm stoked for you. Um, I know it's going to be super good business-wise, work-wise for you as your number one job before this podcast becomes our full-time job. So um, super stoked to have the, the draft out there and first time in a while as Packer fans, like 
the draft means a lot more this year than it has in recent memory. So I'm excited to see what teams like Green Bay, teams like Kansas City, some of these higher profile teams do because they do need to find a solution in the draft this year to compete with, you know, the Super Bowl favorites, the the Buffalo Bills of the world, right? So uh, it, it'll be really, really fun. And I can't wait to see the fountain go off when these kids are walking down. I think what Vegas is going to do and what Vegas is going to turn into, we've talked about this a bunch, but Vegas is slowly in the next five years going to be one of the biggest sports markets in all of sports because yes, there's a lot of transplants there, but there is a lot of loyalty to the city and every team that's came there has been successful thus far. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of money too, right? You talk about the median income out here in Vegas. I think the last time I checked, it was $79,000 and that is because of the strip. Yeah. Um, it's 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 more money. And we've talked about this a lot in comparison to like, you look at a lower market team like Milwaukee, Kansas city, uh, Oakland, right? Median incomes are very different in those cities. You have expendable income in Las Vegas. You're going to see that during the draft. You're going to see that as the baseball and basketball teams show up, but you're right in terms of like opportunity for, for global ability to capitalize on those sports teams like we have x amount of hotel rooms like this is the city where the draft should be held every year right this is where things should always be taking place because you have the ability from milwaukee or tampa or san francisco to come in and say you know what? i'm gonna stay at bally's for 120 bucks and i'm gonna check out the draft this weekend like i think in general it gives us uh, a, a regular sports fan an opportunity and uh, you said about the Buffalo Bills, you know, as, as contrast here, I think this is one of the first drafts in a long time where we're seeing the upper echelon teams have needs and have those needs in the draft possibly be met by the surplus of talent. We've talked yep. about Brees Hall possibly going to the Bills, all of the wide receivers, the Packers and Chiefs are looking at. And then you look at the top of the draft and like, to me personally, this is a actually a like 20 through 32 draft. I want to see those picks. Those are the real deals, the ones that are going to change the playoff picture. And that in itself is excited because normally we're just worried about who, like, who's the first quarterback off the board? Where does <laughs> right, that fourth right. quarterback go? This will be a fun year. Yeah, absolutely. And that says a lot. You're like, this is a 20 to 32 draft. That means that there's basically, there's 10 locks up at the beginning of the draft that like, depending on what your needs are as the Lions, as the Falcons, uh, Jets, Giants, some of these teams early up. Like if you need a, a need at, tackle defensive end linebacker safety you go get the guy and it's you've got i'd say a 65 to 75 percent shot at that guy at least being a starter and a very productive player on your team i agree with you this might be one of the deepest best draft classes um i'm I'm stoked for our mock next week it's gonna be awesome So the NBA playoffs are fully kicked off. We've had three series go their first two games already. But before we get into some of that, what we did want to discuss is what happened in Boston. Kyrie Irving officially today, since we had to run it back on this recording, uh, has been fined $50,000 for his quote unquote antics against the crowd in Boston, Matt. So we talked about this on the phone when we ran through it before, Um, you know, I, I necessarily I'm, I think I'm on Kyrie's side when it comes to this. You know, there gets to a point as a human, as a competitor, as a man where you're like, I can't take enough of this bullshit anymore and I'm going to clap back. So I, I do kind of enjoy what Kyrie's done and vilified himself, at least in Boston. The only part where I do think he is crossing the line a little bit in this entire situation is out there giving the double birds, right? Flipping off the crowd, kind of giving the suck my dick um, 
basically gesture right um, to the crowd. Whereas I think he has every right to defend himself. It hasn't been that bad this year in the NBA, uh, but the post COVID we remember Russell Westbrook was getting popcorn dumped on him. I think Kyrie got touched or, you know, something happened to him on the sideline, but there was a pattern in pro basketball where the crowd was acting out of pocket where I think these, you know, players, professionals should have the opportunity to clap back a little bit someone disrespectfully but also cognizant that you're on tv everyone has a phone and like you're probably going to bring up here there might be little kids by so yeah go ahead jaw go ahead clap back but at the same time like you do need to make sure that you're not fully crossing the line i thought that's what he did with the middle fingers i'm cool with everything else though yeah i fully agree and as much as through the years i haven't liked kyrie irving like i'm actually embracing this villain role that he's playing he himself no said doubt. in a press conference the other day you know embrace the dark side and that's what his role is going to be especially there in boston you know formerly having played for boston having that that breakup not as comfortable as most transitional breakups are in the nba <laughs> to say the least yeah to say the least and i'm okay with it the antics um like you said i'd prefer some of the the physical gestures to go away because i think you can still you know, put your foot down and be combative with the crowd in a fun way, even if there's emotion attached there. Yep. And and I said this, you know, to you the other day, I said, you give a man more motivation to go out there and beat you on top of what he's already doing in game one, which was smoking Boston. Yep. You're going to continue to motivate him every single game. And that just goes to show what Kyrie's ability is in those hostile environments, right? Now you take that away and you say, hey, you can't speak to the fans at all. To me, that just elevates home field advantage. And at this point in time in society, it's completely unacceptable because where the competitive banter was 20 years ago has completely changed to the level of un like unacceptable, right? The big thing is like, oh, you should be a role model. Well, what about the dad that's 55 years old telling him right. you know, profanities next yeah, to his son? Exactly. It's like, how is and that his even? his son saying it too, probably 10-year-old, like, right? Yeah. Encouraging poor behavior. So as soon as right. we cross that line, which we've crossed that line years ago, you right. say what you got to say. To your point, though, you know, the physical gestures, it's like, OK, there are people on television, maybe even 10 year olds just chilling in their basement at home watching this game like that. I don't need to see. But right. You got to say whatever you got to say to the crowd, because if they're throwing it right at you, you got to throw it right back. And again, I think that's a better version of sports. I think you got to allow these players to go out there and do that. Also, fifty thousand dollars to us. That's probably like five bucks, ten bucks. <laughs> I'd if, say a hundred bucks, maybe, you know, it, I mean, he's making $35 million yeah, a year, true. right? That's like, true, yeah. But but if I if we could go to our jobs and be combative with our clients, both of us, <laughs> for five bucks, yeah. I'm down. Like, yeah, sign me up. Sign me up. I'm in. And I, I think this is kind of the element within the NBA. You got to allow that to happen as long as you're not crossing that line. I agree. I would be interested to see now if this continues over seven games, does it go from a $50,000 fine to flagrant fouls um, to suspension? Because I think that's where the league's crossing the line. But I think with Kyrie, they may be willing to make more of an example out of him than say if this were Giannis or if this were LeBron, you know? Yeah. And the whole COVID thing has already put Kyrie into this media um, distaste, dislike, right? So this is just another thing for the media, for the league to jump on him over. So I, I think he's turning into one of these guys in the league right now that is like, eh, I don't give a fuck about him, right? Like as far as the media and, and the brass is concerned. I thought last thing on this topic, we'll switch over to the other uh, series here in a second. I thought 
uh, Adrian Wojnarowski came on, I think it was first take or one of these shows and made a really, really good point where he's saying, I think some of this vulgar language and some of this hostility is going to get worse now that we've had gambling be so accepted nationwide and that you can actually go to the draft book or draft or a bet on your cell phone in the middle of this game. So myself is an example, right? Last night, man, I bet on Spencer Dinwiddie to get 20 points. He ends up losing. He only gets 17. He only took three shots in the fourth, missed two layups, right? If I'm at that game, I'm blacked out, right? I've I've drank five beers, six beers. I'm pissed. You just lost me 500 bucks, right? I've lost 500 bucks. I was, I was supposed to make $1,500, but you couldn't make your, your, your layups. What's going to stop those fans that are belligerent, right? Maybe not with their kid from saying some messed up stuff to Kyrie Dinwiddie insert player, right? I thought Wojnowski made an actual really good point, Matt. And this is something we should definitely take into consideration throughout the playoffs. And especially as we get into baseball season into October, because sports gambling is alive everywhere now. Like there's only a few states that you're not allowed to do it in. And in most states and in most, you know, cities, you can do it right from your seat in the arena. So I think that's also something to monitor. I thought that was an incredible point because, yeah, you get pissed when your money's gone now, too, because you as a pro athlete couldn't make a layup. And I'm six beers deep pissed off. Well, and I think that just adds to the overall like hierarchy entertainment aspect of this. And no doubt. I, I think it, there's a lot of positives. There's a few cons with sports betting being, <laughs> you know, sure. nationally accepted now. That's a completely another topic that we should probably dive into. But what I will say is that should give the players that much more of the ability to say, sh- like, sit the F down. Right. I, you know, we're up 17 points. I'm sorry, Matt. I have 17 points myself. I'm not taking a three. You right. know, like, <laughs> shut up. I don't care about your $500 bet. Like, what we've made in TV revenue in this game alone is like $3 million. So you're 500 piddly dollars, you know, but like the players should be able to have those conversations with fans right. as they're going up and down the court. Like, cause if you're right, if you're drunk, you know, throwing profanities at a guy cause he missed a free throw. Well, shit, dude, I missed a free throw yesterday too. Like just because you have money on it. I love this. And I really hope to see this be more of a combative, like engaged sport because finally, you know, you have the fans that literally pay the salaries of these players, that pay right. the owners, that drive the revenue right. for these leagues to even exist. At the end of the day, the players forget that like, the fans are their bosses in a way, right? And to have more of a um, an engaged uh, entertainment setting, I think is amazing. Speaking of an engaged entertainment setting, my friend, Golden State, San Francisco last night was electric. The Golden State Warriors are all the way back, Matt. They are all the way back. Healthy Steph Curry, this kid, Jordan Poole out of Michigan, 22 years old, playing out of his mind. Clay Thompson's back. Draymond's playing defense. They ran the lowly Denver Nuggets out the gym last night. Jokic gets ejected. Um, just the, the, the Nuggets are dead, man. And what what I want to go over here, Matt, is just I, I think we're finally seeing the last resurgence of the the, the three headed monster in Golden State, the Curry, Draymond, uh, Clay Thompson resurgence. And I truly believe, Matt, straight up that if Jordan Poole can play at this level, right, if he can produce 25 points a game, you know, three to five threes a game, play some defense, you know, score with the best of them. I think this extends the playoff championship caliber window for the Golden State Warriors at least another 
three to maybe five seasons. I'll say three seasons for sure. Whereas I thought this year, this run, that was going to be it. But if Poole can do what he can do, man, their offense is just as deadly, if not a little less than when KD was on the team efficiency wise, because KD was just a beast, right? And he can go take over one on one. What I saw last night, and yes, it was against the Nuggets, who outside of Joker, their team's done and they were out there frustrated. You saw that old school Warriors from 2016 pass, pass, three, pump fake, three, boom, here, defense, three, boom, boom. They scored 19 points in like two minutes, dude. Um, I, I think they really have extended their window. They've found something with this Jordan Poole kid, 20, I think 28th pick in the draft. Um, they're all the way back, Matt. And I really think, and I can't believe I'm saying this, you were kind of on this earlier, but I, I think they might be able to beat the Suns and absolutely ruin my futures bet. Yeah, that was a, a take we had talked about like three months ago here, looking at, you know, looking ahead, Western Eastern Conference. And I saw the Warriors earlier this season and Poole's emergence kind of started. He wasn't what he is now. I mean, the right. development he has taken over the last three months alone has risen him into that all-star kind of caliber level pushing next season. Right. And I took the Warriors because at the end of the day, like I will bet on Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins over Booker and, and Paul because of just the inconsistencies of health for Paul. Now, you said it best. What the Warriors are doing in the first round is against a team that's completely riddled with injuries. They're two, they're three. Porter and Murray out. So right. I want to see what this Warriors team looks like second round. I want to see what they look like in that first game against the Suns. Is the same ability from Poole showcased against the Suns as it is against the lowly Nuggets? Now, also, the next big thing about this is with the three to five year window, they've got some very hard decisions to make this offseason. In my opinion, it's time to cut Draymond Green loose. He is the least productive on the floor when it comes to Wiggins, Poole, Thompson, Curry. Uh, he is not the same player he used to be. Now, from a leadership perspective, from a team chemistry perspective, that's very hard to say, but you currently have four players maxed already. You can't max a fifth. They are in such luxury tax hell as it is and has have been okay with that because of their lease seats and their new arena. They've got to hold on to pool. Whether it is Wiggins leaving or it's Draymond Green leaving, this is, might be their last chance as a core three to make this run. And I hope all of them realize that like this is kind of their last dance, at least, you know, for now. We'll see what happens this offseason. Maybe they do hold on to all the pieces and it is yeah. Wiggins that shipped out. But I think at the end of the day, we're going to see them really go after this. And then the offseason will be interesting, too, because you can't let a kid that's 23 years old playing at this level get away with what you said, the extension of success within the franchise. Yeah, I think it's not a question. They can't get rid of Draymond. I think at the end of the day, he's the heart and soul of the team. Yeah, he he's definitely um, taken massive leaps backwards when it comes to his productivity on the offensive side of the ball scoring. But what he does on the defensive end and what he does personality wise, like he is that asshole on the team, right? Like every team needs the guy with a little bit of an edge, you know, that someone that, you know, Someone that's going to you're going to want to elbow in the face, right? Like straight up, if you're playing against that team, every team needs one, right? Last year for the Bucks, it was P.J. Tucker. You know, I think Bobby Portis is kind of sliding into that role now that Tucker's not there for the Bucks. But look at the fucking heat, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. You got Jimmy Butler and P.J. Tucker, a couple of assholes. You know what I mean? And you kind of need that. And I think without Draymond on the Golden State Warriors, they will never be the same because Draymond not only 
guards the best player on defense, but he also facilitates the offense and allows all three of those dudes to run around off screens, gets open and hits them for passes. So I think if you, if you got to cut one in the off season, to me, it's obvious that it's Andrew Wiggins and it's not because Wiggins hasn't played well, but he's shown that he's a fourth option, right? He's shown that he's at best a third option. So we can't be paying our third, fourth option that max money like you were just talking about, right? So if you can get someone young in return or you can just get draft picks because they do have a lot of guys on the bench through the draft that they've got the past few years that can contribute either this year or next year, I think it's got to be Andrew Wiggins that gets out of town and you keep the core three together. You have those guys retire as Golden State Warriors forever um, and, and they might be going down as the best franchise of the twenty. 20 teens till the 2020 era like honestly they they really might it's hard though i mean you're talking about draymond green making i think it's 42.7 million dollars is, is that what he's at he's up there huh and you're talking about bobby portis making 10 you're talking about <laughs> yeah pj tucker out, making yeah. you're talking pj tucker making maybe 13 something um uh, and i get what you're saying but like we've seen teams make this business decision over and over and over and over again, right? I don't disagree with you. Wiggins should be the one to go. But if you look at like, you call me up as a general manager and say, listen, I'll offer you Wiggins for X players or X picks, or I'll offer you Draymond. It's not even a question I'm taking Draymond. I don't want Andrew Wiggins' max contract, right? Like, unless I'm, say, the Nuggets or the Jazz, and I'm looking to drastically try something crazy. We've seen what Wiggins looks like as the number one and the number two. We know he works as the number four. But I think that's the problem that they're going to run into is like, we can't get rid of Wiggins. We can't even offer Wiseman and Wiggins because teams don't want it. Now we can offer Draymond straight up and get, you know, two bench players or three second round picks. That's what's going to be interesting to me because I do agree with you. I would rather have Draymond, but the money in this game is a different beast. Another team that is really struggling and is probably going to need to blow it up here in about a week and a half, two weeks, is the Utah Jazz. The winner of that series will play Golden State next round. Um, I- I'm done with the Utah Jazz. Uh, I know I brought up Spencer Dinwiddie in the the bet example in a couple segments ago, but the Utah Jazz needs you blow it up. It's done. Now, do I fully blame Rudy Gobert for the situation out in Utah? No, not not at all. I know he's getting the most heat by everyone. Um, I blame Donovan Mitchell. You need to decide who you are as a player, right? Are you just going to be a scorer? Are you just going to be the number one scoring option on a team? Or are you going to be a leader on both ends of the floor and at least give some effort on defense? What I saw from him last night and what I saw from the team overall was pathetic, honestly. They couldn't, and this is no disrespect to Jalen Brunson, who had a career night, looked great, dominated, was the best player on the floor. Once again, Jalen Brunson, Matt, I'm sure you know who that is, right? Um, (laughs) No one could stop him. No one could put their nose down and stop him from driving to the basket, which then lures Gobert over, who his guy's standing out at three. He can't run out there, guard them. Maxi Kleber's goes like eight for 10, eight for 11 from three. Utah blows a lead. Mitchell comes down, takes a couple shots looking like he's Russell Westbrook out there, makes a couple incredible ones, misses a lot of bad ones, but they come down the floor again. They as in the Mavericks and no one can stop Jalen Brunson. And and that's where I'm at. Like Donovan, you want this max contract. You're out here publicly kind of bashing your teammates. Like you make the, you go step up there and guard that guy. Take a foul, you know, try and take a charge. 
Try and make a steal. Do anything. But you standing there, putting your hands up in the air, upset because someone did make a stop. And then you come down, take a crazy shot, and you know, you put your head down and pout. I'm out on that, man. Like, and, and I've come a long way on Mitchell. I wasn't a massive fan of him, but he really is one of the best shooting guards in the league. He's one of the best pure scorers. But you need he, I think he's at this crossroads in his um career right now where he needs to decide what kind of player am I gonna be? Am I just going to be the guy that scores 35 a game and, you know, that's all I'm going to contribute? Or am I going to be the leader, the Kobe Bryant, the killer mentality that we're winning and dying by me? Because right now that's not what they have. And it's it's obvious they need to get rid of Gobert, which, I you know, good luck replacing him. But they do need to get rid of him just based on the toxicity on that team. And I, I, I need to see more from Donovan Mitchell in this series, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, especially moving on here in his career now that he's a max contract player. We're just talking about that. Well, yeah, and we talked earlier this season about the elevation of Jason Tatum, you know, Devin Booker stepping into the role and the numbers that we expected to see from him when Paul was out. Right. And still you have Donovan Mitchell here continuing to slide down the shooting guard rankings. And I think this is what happens when you ultimately see a team fold within itself, right? You, we've talked about the chemistry issues before, dating back to the, the NBA lockout for COVID. Yep. That's where the relationship really broke down between him and Gobert. And maybe it was already rocky beforehand. But at this point in time, what we're starting to see is that they are struggling with continued development for their team because there is team chemistry issues. You said it. One of them has to go uh, They're Them this offseason themselves are going to have some of the decisions to make. And at the end of the day, you can't continue to stunt the development of the third best shooting guard in the league, the fourth best shooting guard in the league. However, you right, want he's to find Donovan. Like, you know, yeah. there's no there's no arguing he's top he's easily top five. But to your point too, right? We've seen the issues with Jalen Brown and Tatum in, in Boston. You know, add Kyrie to that mix back when Kyrie was there. Right. We're starting we've we've seen that those things have found a way to work out. We know we saw some issues within Devin Booker's profile and the way he plays his game. Well, he he answered those questions. He, there are checks next to those boxes now. Right. We are not seeing the same thing from Donovan Mitchell, and it's year after year of the same shit with him. At some point, you've got to take accountability. At some point, you've got to go out there and work on your defensive game and your intensity on the defensive side of the ball. Right. It doesn't matter if Gobert is gone. We kind of talked about this last night in regards to if Gobert is gone, what are you left with? You're still the same team. Guys are still scoring 41 points against you, right? Like You've got to sure those things up. and. I'm really hoping that it is just a team chemistry issue and it's a development stunt where Mitchell takes those those reins and, and decides that I want to be good on both ends of the court because otherwise I'm yep. never going to climb the ladder and I'm never going to be a champion. And unfortunately, we already have Damian Lillard of this generation where we can be like, damn, like should have got a ring, didn't get a ring because of the organization, because of the conference. Like Mitchell has the opportunity in the Western Conference over the next two years, if the front office does what's right, to push his team to a championship run. But right now, he's not doing what's necessary. Yeah, and all those guys that you brought up, right? The Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, like they worked it out. They figured it out. Jason Tatum, same deal. The guy that they're playing against right now, Luka Doncic, right? They had him and Porzingis. We thought that was going to be the combo. And the team was like, you know what? Like, we got to get rid of Porzingis, right? His contract's here. The team isn't playing the way that we want. We bring in Spencer Dinwiddie, who's, you know, an okay player, but it's elevated the team. They've gotten better, and it's all about Luka, right? And now they're dominating. They're probably going to win this series. Luka's going to come back, and they're 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 probably going to take the Warriors to six or seven, right? Like, they actually have a legitimate shot at beating the Warriors. They're a very good team. 
And that's what, and I think it's because, and I don't know this, I didn't see any report, but it's got to be because they were like, hey, this team is going to run through Luka and he's going to give it his all. And we know what the game plan is every day. He gets his shots. He does his thing. We play defense this certain way. We play small ball and we win ball games, right? They don't have an identity in Utah and you hit the nail on the head. You need to find these chemistry issues. You need to start checking these boxes because next thing you know, you're going to be 28, 29 years old. And it's going to be like, damn, remember how sick Donovan Mitchell was for that three year run in Utah, but they literally couldn't get out of the second round ever. That's what we're looking at right now. Moving on to the gridiron. So we've had some pretty interesting things go on here in the NFL. There's a lot of rumors heating up, and it's because of the guys like Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams making these massive contracts um, and, you know, basically demanding out whether it's the contract year or in Tyreek's case, the year before. So now we have some of these younger studs like DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, um, Terry McLaurin. And Debo Samuel in the rumor mill, like, hey, I'm not going to show up to voluntary camp. Hey, I'm not going to do X, Y, Z for the team because I want my 25 million, right? I want my 30 million. And, you know, we're going to discuss here, like, is this good for the players, for the NFL, for both? Like, how is this going to go? And what kind of precedent is this specific offseason going to set for the wide receiver market and some of these more sexy positions, right? Like the cornerbacks. Um, the DBs and different things like that. Like, what is the precedent that's going to be set this year based on what these teams decide to do with these star players, Matt? So it's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm going to make this first point here because I have two points, one for the players, one for the, the owners and the teams and overall the league. I think this is what encouraged you to draft a wide receiver of this talent level in the first round. Right. They did it with Jordan Love in Green Bay to get that fifth-year option, right? To just make sure that, hey, you've played three seasons, you've become a star, you know, here we have it, DK Metcalf. We have Scary Terry in Washington. We have Debo Samuel in San Francisco. We have A.J. Brown in Tennessee. All four second-round picks. All four get four-year contracts. Within that contract structure, your first three years, you're not paid really anything. You're paid like almost a million dollars, a little bit less. Right. That fourth year is where you actually recoup some of the money of being a second round pick. You get a multi-million dollar paycheck for the fourth year. So with that being said, these teams that are wide receiver hungry might be just better taking a guy in the first round knowing, hey, we can pay him less. You know, hey, awesome. We get a fifth year. Now, with the player's perspective here, I understand why they're demanding for money, right? You're one cut away from losing an ACL and maybe never being the same. You're one jog away from tearing an Achilles, just like Cam Akers, and possibly not being the same. So it totally makes sense to me. But the problem here is the teams have all the control. These kids haven't made any money yet. They've probably purchased some things that are pretty expensive, relying on, on paychecks and big-time contracts right. coming into their money year. The teams also have two franchise caps or franchise tags that they can use. So technically, my approach from a team perspective would be, listen, Debo, you're the heart of our organization. I'm willing to give you a three, four-year deal, $20 million a year, more than I wanted to pay you. But at the end of the day, I can't give you $26 million a year because you're not old enough. You don't have the experience and the proven gridiron right. technique to show me that you're Devontae Adams yet. So I'll give you 20 over three or four, right? And, and the problem is the player is going to say, well, no, I can go get 25, 26, 27 from another team. And I would personally say as a GM, no, you can't because you're going to be on this franchise for the next three years. You're going to hold out this year. I'm going to tag you in the offseason. You're going to hold out again. I'm going to tag you again 
You'll be 27, 28 by the time you ever hit free agency. You'll have been out of the game for three years. No one's going to want you. You're going to have two years left of actual earning potential, and you're going to have gone to a team that probably doesn't know how to use you because you haven't played in three years. The precedent these teams have to set is we're not paying you big-time top 10 money. We'll give you top 20, right? And Christian Kirk, I think, really popped the cap off all this bullshit. He screwed it up for a lot of people, yeah. But he yeah. was perfect. He was just good enough not to get tagged. And he went out <laughs> and got overpaid. Yeah. So for these four players, I understand it. But the teams and the league have to set a precedent of we're not budging. And I think you're going to say it next. I'm interested to see what they can recoup in value for these players if there is a trade. Well, and, and that's the other part of it for me is like, OK, cool. Like if you as the player, like if you're des- if you're one of these guys, like you don't even really need to be playing fantasy football to realize that these are probably the best players on each one of their teams. Right. If not top three player on the squad to know. So they do deserve the money. And it's like, OK, I can go get my 30 million from the Jaguars or whoever it might be. Right. OK, awesome. So in order for you to go get that, I'm going to need to trade you. So I'm going to let you know right now, Matt Morris, um, you're only warranting a second and a third. And to be honest with you, that's not good enough for me. And that's not valuable enough for me and what I'm looking to do. Right. Or maybe it is. And I'll get you out of town, sign your extension. And it's been, a you know, win win for both of us. I think that's the route that I, I hope to we see here where it'll come out publicly that the you know the the Seattle Seahawks were offered a second and a third for DK Metcalf and they turned it down because of X Y and Z here and they thought he deserved a first and a third, right? Like we need to look like the best guy, the best guy in football was for this year's first, this year's second round pick. Right. That the best player, Tyreek Hill, one B or the best in your eyes. Same deal. A first, a second. He got it was like five picks. Right. So you want that money. I will let you know if someone offers that trade, if they offer that trade. Sure. If they offer the 18, 18 million dollar a year trade, I'll take that. And there will be that precedent. And that's what I think is going to be set. And I'm excited about it. Right. Like, I think the players have every right to voice their concern now. All this smoke and mirrors like, oh, I'm not going to show up to voluntary uh, workouts. Oh, I'm not going to show up to minicamp. I'm not going to do this. Who gives a fuck? Because they're going to show up the day that they start getting fined and start getting penalized. To your point, it's like maybe they did spend money or shit. At the end of the day, they need money. You still saw saw Deshaun Watson show up last year. He wanted that money. You know, he was going to get, you know, he probably lost five, six million out of his deal last year. But he still got his 20 because he showed up. Bared the brunt, didn't practice, but was there. And those guys will eventually show up. And if they don't, good on them, right? And they held out and they lost their money. But what's going to happen is exactly what you said. They're going to get franchised. And I hope this turns into not a bloodbath, but a friendly negotiation saying like, okay, DK wants 30. He's only warranting a second and third round pick. That goes based on what we've had here in the past. That's a $19, $22 million contract, whatever it is. No, and I agree with you. And and that's this is the thing, right? Like you're in your going into your fourth year. You've been like three years. Like the way in the evolution of contracts, you don't get paid top five money. I mean, the let's be real. The only guy right now that's pacing for top guy deal is Justin Jefferson. He's two uh, years in, but he's two years in a row at breaking a thousand yards, multiple touchdowns, like. It, like DK didn't do that. Debo didn't no, do that. AJ didn't I agree do that. With you, you know what I mean? But, like if there's one dude somewhat pacing and he still has two more years. So it's like, but, but I would take Debo um, 
because you talked about it, and let's just run through the scenario real quick. I'm not trading a first round pick for AJ Brown, injury no. concern. DK Metcalf, right? No. Like has some concerns with route running and overall ability. He's a freak of nature, but some concerns in general, right? Scary Terry, we've really never seen him with a good team. Then that should be a pro, but I w- I'm going to throw that in the concern bag, right? Sure. Debo yeah. Samuel ran a different form of offense in San Francisco that we have really never seen in the NFL in our generation. To me, that's so valuable. I'll pay it. But when I say it's valuable, I'll pay it. First round, pay it, right? Because not only are you giving up for this scenario, a first, maybe a second or a first and a third, right? As we talked about, you're paying this guy X amount of dollars to come in. So you're also losing out on you know this, the new safety that you were going to sign next offseason or exactly. the right tackle that you were going to sign. Exactly. So you're not just giving up a first and a third. You're giving up valuable money. And that's what we talked about Devontae and Tyreek Hill. Like, yeah, first and a second for Devontae and a first, a second and a three-fourths or whatever it was for Tyreek. Like, yeah, you did really good to recoup that value, but you did better because you don't have to pay these guys, exactly. right? And that's the key. So all of this is going to go into that kind of like construction that these GMs do. And I, I'm thinking you're right. I think those phone calls to Seattle right now are saying, hey, we'll give you a second and a fourth, right? right. Because because we have to incur his cost. And he may not even step on the field if he, we don't guarantee him $25 million. And I'm sorry, Correct. DK, you're not Devontae. You are not Tyreek Hill yet. You're close. In two years, you might be. And in two years, I'll pay you according to your ability. Last topic on the pod is going to, of course, be in between the lines on the diamond. We are officially uh, halfway through April, and Mike Trout is officially on the DL, getting scratched from games. And Matt and I are here to complain a little bit, play the what-if game. Like it, it, The question is, is, is he done, Matt? Is his career over? You have an awesome stat that you're going to read off. Like, Is Mike Trout done? Have we seen the best of him? Yeah, man, I I had a really um, interesting night last night. I was just watching baseball around the league for the MLB app, and they bring up the Angels game pregame show. They're talking about Mike Trout, and they're showing you know pictures of him in the dugout with this nice little wrist wrap on. Those of you that don't know, Mike was hit by a pitch uh, a couple nights ago, and Mike, you know, was really concerned, and he wanted X-rays and MRIs, and he was really upset that there might be a small fracture. Well, they went through the course of all the medical examination, and of course, it's a bruise. Everything came back clean. So they continue to go on in this telecast talking about, you know, Mike Trout, like he he made sure not to do anything as he left his house this morning so to hurt strong. the hand. He made his bed with just his right hand, and it's like, <laughs> what a bitch. Like, what a fucking pussy. And the num- I had to go sit down and look at the numbers because I was like, I need to see since he signed this contract, which he signed the contract in March 2019 for $426.5 million. 2019. 2019. Three years ago. So I looked at three years. I said, I know 17 and 18, Mike had some issues with injuries, but like it was before the deal. Even when he signed the deal, I was marginally concerned with his overall health. You know, every season it was one or two stints on the IL, missing about 20 games. So in 2019, Mike Trout played in 134 games, missing 28 games. Not bad. You know, it's about a month he missed, which is a lot of time in baseball. Uh, 2020, the shortened season, I think this is the variable right here. He did play in 53 of 60 games, missing seven games. But let's be honest, we didn't give Mike the chance to go on the IL because we only played for two months. Right. In 2021, Mike played in 36 games, missing 126 games. So when you look at these numbers, you add them all together. Mike Trout has played in 58% 
of the Angels games in the last three seasons. And he's not getting paid 58% of that salary, full, full guarantee. I think not only is he done, I'm questioning now his ability to go out there and want to win. The Angels have never been winners. You know, kid came out of high school. He hadn't had that college pedigree of like what it means to be in a good program and win. When I see Mike Trout on the telecast, I don't see a guy that wants to win. When I see Otani, I see a guy that wants to win. My question really is not does Mike Trout have the ability to stay healthy anymore because I think that's a blatant no. I think does Mike Trout give a shit about baseball or even winning? I don't think that's a yes anymore. I think Mike Trout, now that he's paid, cool. He's happy. Yeah, and I hope you're wrong. I, I'm i not fully on the on the train with you yet to getting there, but... I mean, we're we're getting to the point here where he's he's getting to year ten really soon here in the MLB. They've had one postseason run, and he played like shit. It was a long time ago. They lost to the Royals, got swept. I think the Royals' first run to the World Series. I might be wrong. It might have been the second one, but still, it, it was that long ago, right? Almost a lifetime ago. It feels like, right? And before you know it, man, he is going to lose his touch. And what I don't like about it too is you have a DH. If it is that hard, if it is not broken, you can go up there and take professional at-bats. Like, are you that scared to get hit again? Put a wrist brace on. They have all the technology in the world to help you get geared up on there. Um, And the other problem with it and where you're making your point is, like, the Angels need him. Like, this isn't like you're not on the Dodgers here, pal. You know, you're not on some of these teams with, you know, we can bring in a young stud from the minor leagues to come in here and play for, you know, two and a half, three weeks for you. Like, no, no, no. The Angels need you now. They cannot afford to lose these games to the Texas Rangers, to the Miami Marlins. Like, I or I know I know they've beat them and everything, but there's going to be a stretch where they need you against quality opponents because right now the Angels are all in. Thor is playing well. You got Otani, right? He's heating up. Like the Angels have spent money on their arms, which has always been their biggest issue. And if him and Rendon can get their shit together, like this is the year. The Astros are a little bit of a wounded soldier, right? They're still a very, very good team. But this is the time for the Angels. And I swear, if they go 15 to 20 games under 500, if Trout misses another 50 to 60 to 100 games this year, Matt, I will be on board with you. I'm really close, but not quite yet. Um, well, he better be playing this fucking weekend, like straight up. Yeah. And, and it hurts me to say this cause I'm a massive baseball fan. And like, I have my own feelings about Mike Trout. I have for the past five or six years, like there, I have some concerns off the field that I'm not even going to share on this podcast for liability reasons, but, um, we're starting to enter into a new classification here. Harper and Trout entered this league together. And it was a runaway obvious choice that Mike Trout was the better player. He was going to be generationally the best. That narrative may change if Trout cannot continue to stay in the field. I don't disagree at all. continues to win, right? Harper is gamer, goes out there, wins MVPs, wills his team to victory with nobody else in the lineup last season. You know, the addition of the players like Castellanos and Schwarber should propel them to the playoffs. You're talking about now seeing Bryce Harper in October. Well, Mike Trout, I can say the same things about you. You have Anthony Rondon, who does need to play better. You have Shohei Otani. You have Thor, right? You've added Lorenzen at the back end of that rotation. You've got the pieces to win. And there's absolutely no reason at this point where a bruised thumb should cost the Angels games in April, which matter just as much as they do in September. Right. Last night, Astros beat them. Jordan Alvarez, two home runs, right? 
well, what if Mike Trout's in the lineup and hits two home runs? Now we have an actual game. Or at now least maybe gets on base seven. and knocks in two runs, yes. like not even two home runs. And to your point too about Bryce Harper is before when he came in the league, it was like this guy's a cocky, arrogant asshole. He still kind of has that rap a little bit, but now it's turning into like he's consistent with it. This guy is just a gamer. He gamer. just wants it. Maybe he is. He, he'll ruffle your feathers a little bit, but he's going to be out there giving you 110%. He's going to be hustling, sliding, helmet flying, hair going crazy, right? Like classic Bryce Harper. Whereas now you look at Mike Trout and you just see him out there, hand on the hip, you know, blowing his bubble gum and whatever, right? And yeah, I agree with you. Like we really could be seeing a full transition where there was a stretch where Trout was either the MVP or second place for like three, four seasons where Harper might be that guy now. Obviously, he won it last year. Phillies are struggling. They're kind of off to a shitty start, which is upsetting for me. It is early, but you see him out there. You see him playing hard. You see him rallying the troops, right? And where do you see Mike Trout? Oh, the the news anchor in uh, in OC had to say, oh, you know, he did. He did put his, uh, he made his bed today with his left hand. <laughs> it's pathetic, um, dude. It's he, pathetic. He, he went down to Orange County's finest uh orthopedic surgeon and, and plastic surgeon down there in newport peach and you know he gave him a really really nice thumb brace and you know it's just mike is just he, he's really working through some things coming off his helicopter pad out there in newport coast but he he, oh. he might be back next month you know fuck that <laughs> but it's it's true dude like i don't we we played sports i didn't play at a high level like you did but I loved playing. Like if I could be out there, I knew that my right. time was limited and like I gave it everything I have. And that's why I've loved Bryce Harper more so than Mike Trout because he emulated with a professional set of skills that I played the game and I like to play, right? And I always saw Trout and I was like, damn, he's just gifted. He's gifted by God. He's a freak of nature. He's an incredible baseball player, but he doesn't care as much as I cared. And like the kids <laughs> right. around me cared. Like you have kids that will never have your talent or even sniff your talent. Go out there and give them that talent. Go out there and fight for them and your teammates. Harper does that. Trout does not. We're going to monitor this all season. I'll, I'll have a deeper take. If he goes oh, on the aisle plenty, for a month. We got plenty of time. Oof. We've got plenty, plenty of time. Forrest will burn if he misses <laughs> half the season this year. No Forrest in Vegas, so we're good there, guys. We're all right. <laughs> Well, everyone, thank you so much for bearing with us here. We'll be back on Thursday, so we'll be back with an episode here probably in the next day by the time this pod goes up. Always follow us for updates, news, posts, clips on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at PitcherBetPod. We'll see you guys Thursday. Cheers.